0: I read a delightful commentary about Jesus being in a preaching class with this portion of the Sermon on the Mount the author did a parody with her seminary students and gave Jesus some feedback on this one it went like this now Jesus you use some good down-to-earth imagery salt and light I would encourage you to continue that in your future preaching it helps be much more relatable to regular people But you remember that we learned earlier in the semester that every sermon needs to have a single focus and You are all over the map on this one salt light Not coming to abolish the prophets breaking and keeping the commandments It seems like you just strung a bunch of short sayings together in a row and one more thing, your final sentence. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Where is the good news in that sermon ending? It sets out an impossible goal and then tells listeners that they will be in trouble if they can't do the impossible. Well, I want to go on record and say I like that approach. An honest reflection on the sometimes really difficult nature of the gospel the good news coming with challenges and admonitions but the author says something about the sermon ending and it's important that we realize and remember today that it's not the ending of this particular sermon just our piece of it for today the Sermon on the Mount is five or three full chapters in Matthew's Gospel five six and seven if we had a super long season after epiphany we would have four sundays just on chapter five but this year we'll get three we don't ever get much from chapters six and seven so i encourage you to read all three chapters straight through this week the beginning of chapter five contains what are called the beatitudes or the Blesseds. that's what was the gospel last sunday Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There are eight blesseds, And then Jesus changes from third person to second person and says, Blessed are you when people revile and persecute you on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. In the very next breath comes you are the salt of the earth you are the light of the world the theme of persecution which Matthew's gospel was already experiencing serves as a backdrop for the understanding of the salt and light sayings Fred Craddock says that if the pressure of persecution causes you to lose your saltiness you are of no more value to anyone or if it causes you to hide or put your witness to the gospel under a bushel you become an absurd denial of your purpose we can include today's stresses and challenges and hardships or fears which cause us to lose our saltiness or cover our light there isn't anything much more ordinary than salt and it has figured large for millennia as flavoring preserving healing purification and covenant salt has been used as currency and even taxed its acquisition has altered landscapes and cultures it was so valuable that Roman soldiers might be paid with salt a salarium, from which our word salary comes you are the salt Jesus tells the disciples and everyone else around the Israelites were surrounded by it the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea salt was part of the baptismal rite in the early church it's important to notice in Jesus's words that he doesn't say that we are called to be or to become or that we should be the salt of the earth by believing right or acting right he says you are the salt you are the light as a preaching instructor noted, Jesus is wont to use common basic elements from our lives to tell God's story salt, light, bread, water, wine, seeds, breath, good sermon material, ordinary things with a not so ordinary purpose, ordinary holiness. You are the light. Christ's claim, I am the light of the world, is so central that the use of the image of light to describe the disciples is understood to be derived from Christ's light. We are reminded of that in the sacrament of baptism, also when we give the newly baptized person a lighted candle. We are a reflection of his light in and through us as a light for the world, like a city built on the hill, openly visible for all. You are the light of the world, and it will not be extinguished. Light is a fascinating thing. We can apply it metaphorically to many aspects of our lives. It travels in waves, and it keeps on going forever until it bumps into something. From the beginning of time. From stars 12 billion light years away, it just keeps traveling and isn't lost until it interacts with something else, like your eyeballs. Our lives are made holy by the presence of the light from within. So what we do and who we matters as the light of God's grace in the world, your life, how you think of and care for yourself and others, how you treat the earth, if you visit the sick and forgive those who hurt you, whether you are generous and kind, how you respect and speak to and about those with whom you disagree. If ever there were a time to be light, it must be now. Our kids participate in active shooter drills in their schools. Another black man, Tyree Nichols, is killed by police, this time in Memphis. Anti-LGBTQ legislation is being passed all across the country. A suicide bomb in a Pakistan mosque. Israelis and Palestinians, Palestinians are killing each other and Jerusalem is rocked by protests. And then there is Ukraine. There are so many who are feeling hopeless with the condition of the world. Our divisions are widening. Bitterness and animosity increasing. Tolerance of open racism and the absence of common courtesy and discourse. These are the times when we may and perhaps should define the light of Christ as hope. We can let the light shine through us as hope. The ripples of our life giving light and hope can go far beyond us liberating us and others from literal or spiritual darkness. Send out your light so it can bump into someone or something in need and call us to confront and address that need or injustice or hate or division. Sometimes the darkness seems so deep, even when we know in our hearts that darkness is also the womb of new life. A friend of mine shared some words from author E.B. White from 1973 which he wrote to a man who had lost hope in humanity. Listen to them with the ears of your heart. Take heart. As long as there is one upright person, as long as there is one compassionate human, the contagion may spread and the scene is not desolate. Hope is the thing left to us in a bad time I shall get up Sunday morning and wind the clock as a contribution to order and steadfastness. Sailors have an expression about the weather. They say the weather is a great bluffer. I guess the same is true of our human society. Things can look dark, then a break shows in the clouds, and all is changed, sometimes rather suddenly. It is quite obvious that the human race has made a peculiar mess of life on this planet. But as a people, we probably harbor seeds of goodness that have lain for a long time, waiting to sprout when the conditions are right. Our curiosity, relentlessness, inventiveness, ingenuity have led us into deep trouble. We can only hope that these same traits will enable us to claw ourselves out. Hang on to your hat, hang on to your hope, and wind the clock, for tomorrow is another day. Hope is the thing left to us. Light has been given to us to shine the way. Brian Moss calls us out when we don't wanna give ourselves away so freely and fully, tending to cluster with like-minded people so that we can compliment one another on our saltiness And brightness without the effort of salting or lighting anything he believes we tend to cluster our light and concentrate our salt to the exclusion of others and the benefit of none by trading humility for hubris he continues we have salted our culture well nigh to death with notions utterly foreign to the Sermon on the Mount he thinks we too often hide our light abandon our hope and refuse to wind the clock, fearful that letting our light shine might make it less bright in our immediate vicinity. But the kids in your godly play program know that is simply not true. Godly play tells the story of God's people from creation through Christ, and light figures prominently. As godly play progresses through the season of Advent, Additional candles are lighted each week, just as they are here in the church. But the kids note something that we oftentimes forget, that when we light one candle from another and another, the light of each is not diminished by a single photon. It spreads and grows. So there are candles on the altar. And I would like to invite any... Buddy that participates in godly play to come on up and help Anna light some candles. Anybody, be brave. Otherwise, we're going to anoint Anna. Is the only godly play person here today, and that might not be true. Okay, good job. Come on up. Okay, so somebody, Anna's going to light the first candle from one of the altar candles. Now I want you to watch. And I want you to squint your eyes if you have to. And see if you notice that first candle getting any dimmer. So someone else go up and take a second one and light it from the first one and then put it back. Oh, you guys are doing great see godly play is really smart you can squint your eyes all you want but that first candle is not getting any dimmer there's always more light there is always more love there's always more hope if it's stuck under a bushel basket it gives light or love or hope to nothing if we're going to get through the messes that we've been making we're going to have to share our light and love and hope. There is always enough. You look at the candles, they are all burning brightly. It is a challenging call to righteousness that Jesus issues to the people, an extraordinarily difficult assignment. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But the rest of the sermon is full of good news when we act on these convictions. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do not worry about tomorrow. Do not judge in everything do to others as you would have them do to you. Isaiah calls us not only to honor the law, but its spirit as well through just and compassionate care for the neighbor and the most vulnerable. What if next week at the Super Bowl, We didn't see someone hold up a sign that says John 3 16, which nobody understands anyway. But instead, there was a sign that said Isaiah 58. We're gonna hear these verses from Isaiah again on Ash Wednesday in a couple of weeks. They're found five times in the lectionary. Most show up just once, maybe twice. But because Isaiah gives a vivid picture of authentic religion let the oppressed go free share your bread with the hungry bring the homeless and poor into your house cover the naked our lives matter to God we examine them not as a guilt trip for the failures that we all experience but to help us straighten our backs and take ourselves as seriously as God takes us and renew our commitment to live lives worthy of the salt and the light that God has poured into us. Hang on to your hat. Hang on to your hope. Light another candle and wind the clock. For tomorrow is another day. And that's pretty good news for which to end a sermon.